We're going to get right into it this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, our passage is verses 7 through 15. So as you're finding that in your Bible so you can follow along and make sure I'm not making things up, uh, I know from talking to many of you over the phone that some of you have marathon sermon Sundays and you watch two, three, four sermons on Sunday mornings. Uh, If that's you, I'm curious, you can put in the comments how many sermons you've watched already or listened to. If, if I'm not your first this morning, uh, the more preachers you listen to, the more careful you need to be to make sure they're not leading you astray. And I don't say that to make us paranoid. I don't say that to make us um, be suspicious of every preacher or author or Christian speaker. But that this is the central point of our text today, just like it was Friday. We have to be careful who we listen to. Because there has always been in the church false ministers who will lead us astray if we're not careful. So the big idea for this Sunday is really pretty similar to what the big idea was on Friday, because it's in the same section of Scripture. Don't be led astray. Uh, The goal of all Christian ministry is a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And we have to be careful not to be led astray by false ministers who would lead us astray from just a simple, pure, straightforward devotion to Jesus and to other things. What our passage adds to that idea this morning is don't be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ by those who only minister for money. That's what our passage today is going to add. And this is always uh, always interesting to preach about money. Um uh, so we'll we'll see what the Lord does through this passage this morning. Don't be led astray from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ by those who only minister for money. So we're going to ease in to verse 7 through 10, and we're going to see that Paul refrained from accepting financial support from the Corinthians. Paul refrained and refused and would not accept any financial support from the Corinthian church. Let's read about it, starting in verse 7. Paul writes, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. So let's look a little closer at this and see what it is he is saying. Verse 7, he says, I didn't, uh, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself by not receiving support from you? Remember, he is here arguing for his legitimacy as an apostle to a church where there are people who are doubting that he is a legitimate apostle. And they are instead veering away from Paul to these folks that he calls super apostles, these false teachers who are putting themselves in a place and claiming to be apostles with more authority than Paul. And now he's addressing one of their complaints against him is that he would not accept support from them. He says, I preach the gospel to you free of charge as a gift. It was freely given. 
Now, this is a little bit upside down from what we might think. We might think that a church could get upset with a minister because they demanded too much compensation and they were greedy. Paul's in trouble with the Corinthians for the opposite reason, because he wouldn't accept any support from them. He refused. Uh, There's a couple of reasons why this might have upset the Corinthian church. Uh, You guys might think that sounds awesome. Uh, uh, A minister who ministers for free, that'd be great. Um, It was upsetting for them because in that social setting, to refuse support and refuse a financial gift was sort of a slap in the face. It was a a disrespectful, demeaning kind of a thing. Uh, It it caused shame for the, the giver. So the Corinthian church wanted to give Paul compensation for his ministry, and he says, no, thank you. That almost would seem insulting to them. The other reason has to do with social standing. In that culture, for Paul to support himself through manual labor, he he was a tent maker, was demeaning, and it lowered his social standing. So the Corinthians were looking at Paul, who is doing this kind of dirty, sweaty manual labor to support himself, and then they're looking at these false apostles who were accepting their support and their financial resources and said, well, they seem more legitimate. Paul does not seem legitimate. And we can kind of understand that, I think, a little bit. If um, if I, as your pastor, said, from now on, I am I'm not going to accept any compensation, and I go and work at the Waffle House down the road, and as a, an entry-level employee there, I get the worst tasks, and so I'm the, the official toilet cleaner at the Waffle House down the road, you can maybe understand how you might be embarrassed of me if some of your friends, they go to the Waffle House and they uh, meet me coming into the restroom. I'm in there cleaning the toilet and they say, Is that that's your pastor, the, the toilet cleaner at the Waffle House? Uh, this maybe was kind of a part of the picture. In, the, in Corinth, it was a wealthy area and they respected wealthy people and people who came across as wealthy. And so here Paul is, and he seems poor, and he seems kind of ragged and worn out, and um, he's not playing by the social games that they're used to by refusing any support from them. So they're upset with Paul, and they, they suspect he might not be a legitimate apostle because he has refused to accept payment for his ministry. In verse 80 goes on, I robbed other churches. I plundered other churches. This is uh, an exaggeration to make his point Um, not only did he support himself through his tent making, but he also accepted donations from other churches, but he wouldn't accept it from the Corinthians. So here again, you can kind of see why this would have been upsetting to them. Um, Why won't you accept our money? You accept it from the Macedonians. Interestingly, the Macedonians were poorer than the Corinthians. The Corinthians probably were doing just fine financially. So it's not that Paul refused compensation from the Corinthians because he didn't want to be uh, a burden on their finances. They could afford it just fine. And he accepted financial contributions from the Macedonians who actually it would have been probably a hardship for them to contribute to Paul. Um, it's just it's inter- an interesting um, contrast there. In verse 9, he goes on, When I was with you and in need, I did not burden anyone. I didn't want to put any weight on you guys. I refrained and will refrain from doing this. I'll continue to guard myself from doing this. So the question for the Corinthians are, if if you're a legitimate apostle, 
why are you not accepting compensation from us like these other guys who claim apostolic authority? Uh, we might wonder the same thing as we start to look into this passage. It seems that they were interpreting this as a lack of love because he goes, that's what he goes on to say in verse 11. And why? Why do I do this? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. So the crux of the issue back then, Paul wouldn't accept their compensation, and they thought that perhaps uh, he didn't love them, and, and that was at the root of it. And he says, no, that's, that's not it at all. And then he goes on to explain why. So first thing to notice from the passage, Paul refrained from accepting financial support from the Corinthians. Now we're going to see in the second half of the passage why. Paul refrained from accepting financial support from the Corinthians in order to undermine the false apostles there. That's why he did it. In order to undermine the false apostles who were there. Let's read verses 11 through 15. And why? Because I do not love you, God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So this is um, these are harsh words Paul has for these false apostles. Let's look a little closer again. Verse 12 he state, we don't have to guess why he operated this way. He operated this way to undermine the claim of those who claim to work on the same terms as Paul and his associates. Uh, that term undermine is the idea of to literally cut the ground out from underneath them so they couldn't make these claims. Uh, Paul did not want to be associated with these false apostles. He wanted to differentiate himself and separate himself from them and he felt the best way to do that was by not accepting any compensation from the Corinthians. Uh, these men, in verse 13, were false apostles. Uh, that's just one word in the Greek, pseudo-apostles. They were deceitful workmen. So the work they did, um, the, the true work they were doing was covered in deception. One of the commentaries I was reading said, it's like a worm covers a hook. Their deceit was covering uh, their true intentions. They were disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They were, they were masquerading as apostles of Christ. What was on the outside was not matching what was true on the inside. Uh, and they were disguising themselves in the exact same way Satan disguises himself as uh, a servant of light. So here Paul is pulling no punches. This is, this is brutal what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, you know, they're well-intentioned and they're doing their best, but I really think you ought to listen to me instead of them. He's saying they are servants of Satan. They're doing his will. They are not servants of righteousness. And so it's no wonder that Paul wanted to take drastic measures to separate himself from them and to try to protect the Corinthians from being led astray by them. So I think we get the picture of what these two paragraphs are conveying back then. 
We understand why Paul operated the way he did. Uh, the question for us now is what are we supposed to take from this in uh, 2020 um, American and uh, other places in the world, New Zealand, Christianity, and, and the church, what are we to take from this? And I have three lessons from this passage I want to leave you with. The first one, there are times when ministers should refrain from accepting compensation. There are times when Christian ministers, in pursuit of uh, genuinely being servants of righteousness, servants of Christ, should refrain from accepting compensation for their ministry. Um, I'll tell you, this is something I've wrestled with. Uh, I went into Bible college and then seminary knowing that I love Christian ministry and teaching the Bible. And then about halfway through seminary, I, I, my passion for that continued to grow. But my desire to do it as a vocation, as like a paid vocation, uh, stopped growing. And I, I started to feel like I really don't want to do this as my means of supporting my family. I, I wish that I could support my family through some other means and just be a mature Christian who's really involved in the church. And so you Doolin's Grovers know that that's really what I was trying to do for, for many years. And uh, it was working pretty well. I was working with my best friend at a photography studio uh, in a little town called Locust. And I was doing marketing stuff, which I really liked. And uh, it, was, it was working pretty well. Uh, but then when the the doors opened here at Doolin's Grove to make this my full 100% focus, ministering to people as a pastor and preaching and teaching and counseling and discipling from God's Word, uh, I, I could not stand but to take that opportunity. Uh, and so I've had to get comfortable with being paid as a minister. And many of, of you who are watching, some of you who are watching, uh, are, have been in the same boat, our vocational ministers. And you know what I'm talking about, that tension and a little bit of discomfort with it. Um, it is legitimate to accept compensation for ministry. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. It says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Yeah, he talks a lot more about it in that chapter, but it is legitimate. Most of my, my ministry heroes, the, the Christians I looked up to the most uh, theologically and in terms of ministry, have been vocational ministers. That was their full vocational focus, and they received their, their uh, um, life-sustaining compensation through that means. And so it is legitimate. It's not wrong or bad. That's not what Paul is arguing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But what we can say from this chapter is that it's not always good to accept compensation for ministry. Sometimes it's better to refrain from accepting compensation for ministry. In this case, the reason is because it would blur the line between the true minister, Paul, and the false ministers, the false apostles. And so it's a greater good in this case for Paul to refrain from compensation in order to expose the false apostles. Um, so, so what this says to me, this may be a limited point that may not feel that relevant to many of you because you're not vocational ministers, but if receiving compensation ever becomes a stumbling block for the church, uh, it's probably time to try to find another means of compensation. Uh, 
if I ever am in a position to give advice to aspiring pastors and ministers who are going into Bible college and seminary, I always recommend that they consider developing another skill alongside these ministry skills, um, whether that's a, a trades skill, kind of like Paul had with tent making, whatever it is, so that it would be an option that they could still faithfully fulfill their financial obligations if they're ever in a position that they should refrain from receiving compensation for their ministries. So again, that's probably a limited point that's not uh, all that interesting to all of you, but I think it's a point that needs to be made from the passage. So that first lesson, uh, there are times when ministers should refrain from accepting compensation. The second lesson from this passage I'll point out, false ministers can sometimes be identified by their pursuit of money. False ministers can sometimes, I would even say often, be identified by their pursuit of money. Uh, we in the Charlotte area all remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker of uh, PTL, Praise the Lord Ministries. I don't. It was a little before my time, so I don't know a great deal of the details about that. Um, but their whole wonderland that they built uh, is still sort of there down the road, as sort of a, a ghost town now. Um, but here, these are ministers who um, were were taken down um, because they even went to illegal measures to gain great wealth for themselves. Uh, there's there's another minister named Jen Wright who I, I think had similar issues related to tax evasion because just trying to gain personal wealth. Uh, in looking for examples of this, I ran across an article from Brotherhood, Brotherhood Mutual uh, that, that argues that there is more money expended from the church by fraud than what is given to missions. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not sure how they got their figures, but that goes to show you that this is a serious problem within the church. Greed, uh, the love of money, replacing the love of God and the love of people is a serious problem in the church. And in terms of ministers, false ones can often be identified by their pursuit of money. And you, you might be really frustrated about this when you look at it because it's such a bad witness to those in the world. And I said, why would this be? It seems like the church should be a haven from this kind of greed and this kind of, um, um, I can't think of my words this morning. Um, <laughs> I can't, there's a perfect word for this and I can't think of it. It drives me crazy. It'll come to me right after we're done. But it seems like the church should be free from being tainted with this kind of uh, behavior that's out there in the world. But that's, when you think about it, it makes sense that it would be present in the church because it's a good strategy. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light because it's a good strategy. And false apostles will disguise themselves as true apostles because it's a good strategy. If you genuinely don't love the Lord and don't love people and you really just want money, it's a pretty good strategy to try to extort it from the church because we're trusting and because it, it seems like where that kind of behavior wouldn't be found. It, it makes sense that some of the worst behaviors found in the church, along with some of the best, because this is the battlefront between good and evil. So it makes sense that both would meet here, some of the very best and some of the very worst. Uh, and, and it's true. And so this is one of the simple activities I have for you in response to this passage. If you have something to write with, jot down... Who are the most influential ministers in your life right now? And that might include me. You're watching this live stream, so I assume I might be on that list. 
Uh, but anybody else, you might watch other preachers on TV right now, especially while we're not able to be together in person. You may be reading a book by someone right now. Write down those names and, and give a little bit of thought to those people. Uh, and if you suspect that they are ministering purely because of a love of money, not a love for people, you may want to move away from those ministers. Or like if it's the case of me, if, or if it's your pastor, raise that concern with other church leadership. We as Christians need to be on the lookout for this. I think that's something that we can take from this passage. We need to be on the lookout for false ministers. And one of the ways you can identify them often is their pursuit of money. That is often what marks the difference between a true minister and a false minister, between an, an honest worker and a deceitful worker, between a sincere or a disguised uh, Christian minister. So that's the second point. Uh, the first lesson, make sure I say it correctly, there are times when ministers should refrain from accepting compensation. The second, false ministers can sometimes, I would even say often, be identified by their pursuit of money. And then now the third and final, we all just need to check our own hearts related to money. We all need to examine ourselves related to the love of money. I want to read to you 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Interestingly, this is written to a pastor from Paul. He says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's 1 Timothy 6, verses 8 through 10, if you didn't catch the reference. So I think a good question for us to do a little self-examination of our own hearts here comes from this passage, and I'll phrase it like this. You might want to jot it down. I think this would be good for some reflection throughout the rest of the day. Could I be content with only the essentials, or do I desire to be rich? Could I be content with food and clothing, or do I desire to be rich? Paul says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Could I be content with just the bare essentials, or do I desire to be rich? That reminds me of a quote I read this week. Uh, it was actually from a prisoner who was being taught to read Shakespeare. Um, I don't think that detail is important. It just occurred to me to share. Uh, but the quote uh, he wrote, Only those who can be happy with nothing can be happy with anything. That seems like a quote that he may have read somewhere, but I couldn't find it anywhere. This was a prisoner who was in solitary confinement. And he said, only those who can be happy with nothing can be happy with anything. Uh, if we get caught in the trap of desiring to be rich, it's never satisfied because you can always be more rich. There's always someone that has more, and there's always a potential to have more. The trick is to be content with just the bare essentials. And it's serious, this question, because if we fall into the trap of desiring to be rich, it can make us wander away from the faith, which really brings us back full circle to where we began and the whole point Paul is making in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The reason he doesn't want them led astray by these false apostles 
is because he wants them to have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's the ultimate aim. That's the, the ultimate aim of all true ministers, to cultivate a sincere and pure devotion to Christ and those that they're serving. That's the aim of all true ministry. That's uh, Lord willing, and I pray and I, I ask the Lord to search my heart in response to this passage, but I, I believe that's my aim. And that's our aim together as a church. Above all else, uh, above having a nice building, above having uh, a great standing in the community or seeming awesome in any way, we want to have and promote a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And that's the bottom line. So that's the message for this morning. I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to remain on to interact with you. If you have anything you would like to interact about, uh, let the, the comments be filled with that. And uh, after I pray, I'll kind of scroll back through and interact with what you've shared in the comments. Um, so let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, would you please search all of our hearts and reveal to us any love of money that may be taking root? Would you help us to be like Jesus and be content with just the essentials, just the food and the clothing and the shelter that we need that you give us so freely and graciously? And would you remove any desire to be rich? And would you free us from the love of money to love you and to love people and to be true ministers of Jesus Christ? Let the effect of our lives be sincere and pure devotion to Christ in ourselves and in everybody we come into contact with. Help us to be nudging them toward Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.